Exceeding Expectations, episode 29. Welcome to the podcast where we give you ideas on how you can give your customers better experiences. This week's guest, James Nathan, a former accountant and who was in recruitment, he now trains lawyers amongst other professions. And we, we hear things such as why satisfaction, why you should never use the word satisfaction surveys and aiming for satisfaction is just mediocrity. He compares uh, trying to aim for exceeding expectations. In some ways, it's like teaching a dog to sit. You find out about some of the stuff that Shangri-La hotels are doing and Ritz-Carlton and how you can really delight your clients. And he mentions about good service gets people talking about you, but great service gets people shouting about you. We have a a Facebook group for Exceeding Expectations, so please do join in and start some conversations. And it would be fantastic if you could leave a review for us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, And that would really help get the show to more people. So hope you enjoy this week's show. So we're here for another edition of Exceeding Expectations. And my guest this week is James Nathan. How are you, James? I'm great, Tony. Thanks very much. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. And you're over in um, just that, was it Oxfordshire you were saying? sort of in the middle of the country between Reading and Oxford. Yeah, because you have such a strong Oxford, Oxfordshire accent. Yeah, it's um, it's <laughs> full of you people <laughs> from time to time. I've been here a very, very long time, but I I, I, re- I grew up in Western Australia, so it's uh, I'm Southern, but Southern as people think. One of the things that we were talking about before we started recording, and you were telling me about, you know, some of your background and and the various, you know, as you've been an accountant and recruitment and so on. And one of the th- things I found interesting was when you mentioned you had a company called the James Nathan Experience, and the, what was going through my mind as you started speaking from that is, I wonder if he's a Jimi Hendrix fan. Do you know what? I am just a little bit. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> I'm a really good friend because I, I when you know what it's like when you when you build a business and you think what am I going to call this and uh, and my business is about um, you know it, the the main the main person is me so um, I thought it has to be about me um, but it has to be true to my identity and I absolutely love Jimi Hendrix so um, it was right. a very easy a very kind of quick thing. But I was at. I went to see um, famous Australian guitarist Tommy Emmanuel this week in London, and with a friend of mine who's no, you know, is a kind of business friends become a, a more of a mate. And he said to me, "Oh, I've just realised why your company's called the James Nathan Experience. <laughs> You've given me <laughs> all sorts of stuff in the past. How is that possible?" But, uh, yeah, yeah, the first that straight away so you were talking about you know those early days where you were an accountant and recruitment so so how did that lead into what it is you're doing now it's it's almost a natural progression but not really so i i um i worked as an accountant and i qualified here in the uk i spent some time in corporate recovery um and realized fairly swiftly that i didn't want to be an accountant um i loved my clients i loved the people i worked with i didn't love the partners i worked for um, and I didn't want to be one of them. Um, and when you're a chartered accountant, you don't want to be a partner, um, and you're you're ambitious. It's kind of a, a weird position to be in. Um, mm. So I looked at the world around me and looked at um, I could either go in house as an accountant or or leave the profession. So I went back to Australia and 
had a few beers with friends and came back and thought, um, I'll go and see some recruitment consultants. They might have a good idea for me. Um, and I did. I saw lots of them. And after a little while, I started meeting people at these businesses who said, oh, you should be a recruitment consultant or what do you think of what we do? Um, and when the fifth one said that to me, I thought, well, maybe um, <laughs> maybe there's something in this. Uh, mm. So I... Uh, I, I um, interviewed. I got a few offers. Um, I ended up joining a, a what is now a gigantic business called Michael Page Group. Um, mm. Back then, in ninety six, ninety seven, um, I knew everybody in the business. So it's it's changed a bit since then. But uh, yeah, it's a kind of funny, um, funny road through. And uh, I spent oh, nearly twelve years with them. Um, I ended up moving to the south. I was in Leeds originally. Um, opening offices and running offices about the place and running around um, the country, enjoying myself, but wishing that, you know, in the back of my mind that I really wanted my own thing. So when the time was right, I left um, and set up my own legal search business, which was in Reading originally and then um, brought in a business partner who who opened up in, uh, in Bristol. And then... Um, Funny kind of thing happened where I, because I, I was I was helping lawyers join firms, um, and I'd go to meet a partnership, and they'd say we need a really great person, um, but they've got to be a rainmaker, and they've got to have what lawyers call a following, which is a load of clients to bring with them. And I'd say that's mm. okay, but I've got this really great person, and she's not quite there yet. Could you could you look at them? She's you know going to be a star, but hasn't quite got to the level you're looking at. Yeah, yeah, we'll mm. take them on. And I'd say, fine, how are you going to train them? And they'd say, well, you know, we'll put them with Dave because he's good and she'll learn by osmosis. Um, mm. And Tony, you and I both know that doesn't work. Um, mm. And so I started talking to them about mentoring and training schemes um, and started training lawyers in sales, um, which mm. was fun because lawyers aren't salespeople and they don't wish to be, but obviously they need to grow businesses. So um, mm. I set up the James Nathan experience as a, as a sideline, really, is something fun to do for a couple of days a month. Um, but eventually it became bigger than that and it became all my focus and I was loving doing it. Um, and so I sold my part of the business to my business partner, which was a, a nice, quick and easy thing to do. And mm-hmm. uh, and seven years later, I'm still working with professional people um, as well as recruitment people now as well um, and helping them grow their businesses and helping them get more from their existing businesses. Uh, a big, big part of that is the bit that I kind of get most excited about, really, which is service and excellence, and and what makes one business more referable than another, and how do you build relationships with your clients to the point where they not only love working with you but want to talk about you, and so that's what come full circle. And so you just said, so what 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 is it that makes a business more referable in your in your opinion? And how long you got? Um, <laughs> Well, to be honest, the, the key things are really simple. So it's working with the right clients. Um, if you work with the right kind of people, I think you do a better job. Um, and so you really need to understand your audience and your target audience, but also who you can serve best. And then think if you think of the what you do as serving rather than just billing people or you know doing a job for people, then you start to invest more of your own. Um, energy and thought into that client. If you look at a, if you have a very long term view of business, which is you know I work with you today, but I actually want to work with you forever, um, mm. then that instills a bit more. 
Um, obviously, you've got to give exceptional value. You've got to be great at what you do and give great value. But um, almost more importantly now is, and I think in, in the clicking, you know, our competition are a click away in most industries. Mm-hmm. Um, and what makes you one person come to you or not somebody else can be just the web page they open. Um, and mm-hmm. so you have to be extremely easy to work with. And I think that's something that people um, – don't recognise as readily as they should. Um, it, that doesn't mean you need to be, you know, at the beck and call of, of, of clients 24 hours a day, but it does mean you have to be easy to be. You know, you have to be able to do things that fit for your client. You have to be able to help them in the ways that really they really need. Um, mm. And, you know, return phone calls, take calls, stuff, simple things, but, you, you know, Delighting people are doing a great job for them really is about a lot of very simple things done well. And so do people come to you because they've heard about how you're able to get them more referrals or, or what's the, the process usually? The majority of my business comes by personal referral, which is which is how it you know it should be really for a guy who talks about that. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that, that talkability thing is, is very, very important, but I also – you know, I also ask for a referral. I work with, you know, I talk to my clients about the kind of businesses I'd like, you know, if they knew they could introduce me to, all, all those kinds of things. And also being able, you know, not forgetting that the internet's a big a big shop window. Um, I get a good number of, uh, of uh, inquiries that come through there. Um, mm. And, you know, having a, a strong brand and using all the available, you know, social media um, certainly helps as well as a lot of blogging, video blogging, talking to guys like you on podcasts and, and you know, as much public speaking as I can do at conferences and, and, and events. And when you speak at events, what is it you speak about? So my, my speaking business, if you want to call it that, is all around service excellence. Um, and I talk about being the only one in your market. So, you know, in a world where um, good service should be a given, it's not, but it should be, um, mm. We know that great service gets people talking about you, but outstanding service gets people shouting about you. Um, mm. And, you know, being the best at what you do isn't really or isn't nearly enough um, mm. to grow a business well, to be way ahead of competition. Uh, you need to be the, you know, the only one people talk about. If someone says to you today, Tony, uh, I need my car fixed, Um and you give them a list of six people to go to, they'll choose one of them, but you won't. You'll tell them the one that you think is the best one to go to. Um, similarly, mm. if you said to me, James, I need somewhere to go for dinner. I've got a really, you know, there's a special occasion coming up. Do you know anywhere? You know, you will refer them to, if you know them well enough, one or two places mm. that you think will be perfect. Um, and so mm. that's kind of the gist of my, of my, my keynote. Um, you know, great service is kind of the starting point but then trying to learn from um, the businesses who are extraordinary, you know, the, the real leaders in, in the world of, of, of excellence, in service excellence, the big hotel chains, um, people like Disney, people like Harley-Davidson, you know, the kind of names that, are, that spring to mind if, if someone mentions the industry to you. And when you're doing these speaking engagements, is it to normally a particular type of industry or is it quite varied? It's reasonably varied. I, I do, you know, majority of my stuff is professional and business services because that's where my where my main business offering is and recruitment businesses. Um, but it's broadened significantly recently um, 
because I think the message works across many, many sectors. And it's interesting to talk to um, the kind of smaller chains, restaurant chains, hotels, um, you know, opticians, you know, anywhere that that in actual fact it's a service business with a product offering behind. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it's not as as niched in that way as as some, but certainly the niche is around the service offering of the business. And as well as sort of speaking as a, you know, as a public speaker, do you also, you mentioned about training, are you sort of doing workshops as as well or, or...? I do a mix of workshops and um, and coaching and mentoring, and and depending really on what the business needs. But the reality is mm-hmm. that workshops are a great way to learn, and they can be a very fun mm-hmm. thing for your staff to do. Um, they're absolutely mm-hmm. pointless unless people go away and do something differently, um, right. and and use that that knowledge in the future. Um, and so, you know, it's it's a lot of particularly um, where I'm doing skills-based stuff. So, for instance, networking training. Um, it's really important that we go out or they go out and use that skill straight away. Um, mm-hmm. If it's about welcoming clients and running business meetings, um, that that happens instantly so that they really, really embed the learning. Um, and the mentoring and coaching kind of fits over the top and reinforces it and embeds it for them. Um because you know, if you go into a, if, if I come into a business today and do a, an introduction to sales course, um, well, unless they um, unless they have a way of embedding it over and over again in the future, which usually doesn't involve me going back and doing it for them, then the staff there, mm-hmm. the, the management there, really need to to um, be able to do that. And I do quite a bit of work with management um, because uh, you'd expect that they they need to learn how to to help their their staff better. So from some of the guests I've had in the past who have done something sort of a, of a similar nature, one of the recurring themes that, that I found, and it'll be interesting on your take on this, is a lot of the companies that have approached people that kind of help companies to, to give a better customer experience, it often seems to be that companies that make that approach already have the mindset of that they, they realize the importance of delivering a great experience to their customers. And yet the cust- the companies who don't have that mindset and are the ones who are in most need of the training aren't the ones that seem to reach out and, and ask for such training. What, what's your experience? Um, it's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> It'd be great if they did. Yeah. I mean, you go to yeah. certain places and you just think, come on. Um, most businesses think they know what they need. Um, so they might say, you know, we really want to improve the service to our customer base or we'd like to get, um, a higher level of referrals or we, we, we're not keeping our customers as long as we used to and why is that? Um, mm. But actually it, it's, it's looking beneath the surface of the reasons behind those things and trying to mm. put together a, a suitable program to help them. It might be that actually they don't, they think they've got a client a problem with client retention, um, but they don't. Um, they have a problem with something else in the, in the, um, in the process. Or that you know, a lot of the work I do is around um, about inquiry to engagement. So, you know, from when someone comes to you in the first place to actually working with you as a client, capturing them as a client. Um, mm. You know, there's lots of bits and pieces that fall into why they do or don't. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, a common problem that you know, especially in a business like mine, there's only me, and 
And so there's only so much time you can spend, um, you know, hunting for work when you're busy anyway. Um, you need to do a lot of, you know, undercurrent of that. But, you know, some of those businesses, you're right, I'd, I'd love it. If I could just go into the, um, you know, there's a there's a post office in our village, if I could convince them to spend some time with me, it'd be amazing. Um, you know, mm. you, I don't think you could get less service if you tried. And what what is it? What are the things that they're doing wrong? Do you think? Oh, it starts just at the at the training of their staff. There's just no interest whatsoever. You know, you walk into the place, they stare at you. Um, you know, you leave. There's no thank you. It's it's it, there's a common problem in a lot of of businesses where they forget that actually without their client base they wouldn't exist. Um, you know, I've heard, I've been, I've sat in in law firms and I've sat in accounting firms where I've spent some time with them to sort of see what's going on, and I've heard people say things like, "Oh God, this job would be great if it wasn't for the clients." Um, hmm. and you just think to yourself, really, if it wasn't for yeah. the clients, that's <laughs> an interesting way to think about it. But um, I just hmm. don't. If if you if you hire somebody just because you need someone in your business. So let's take the, the, the example I just gave of the, of the post office. Well, it's a kind of mm. shop with a post office in it. Um, if you just hire anybody and you pay as little as possible and you give them as little input as possible, then you don't really deserve to have, you know, their dedication, their loyalty or their commitment to your business either. Um, mm. you know, staff treat clients and customers the way we treat them. Um, mm. I've got a, a fantastic example, actually, of a. There's a, another place in the village, a little shop, a little uh, cafe, and a girl there um, is, is not working in there anymore. But her name's Lauren, and Lauren was the most miserable girl I've ever seen. You know, she was she mm. was a school leaver. She was working. She's a student just working at a cafe, which is a you know a great little way to earn some money. And she was mm-hmm. so unimpressed with her. I always thought to myself, why the hell are you working here? You know, you obviously mm. don't like it. But then something changed. The ownership of the place changed. So whoever the guy was who owned it left and sold it, and this new woman, Vivian, bought it. Um, mm-hmm. And almost instantly, Lauren became this smiling, happy, really friendly girl. Um, and mm. the difference was Vivian. You know, the way she treated mm. her, the way she looked after her, she gave her input and training um, and, and la- allowed her to be the person that she was. The nice, friendly, happy mm. person, um, but with the with with the the you know the background to to do that, and so many businesses forget that you know happy happy staff make for a very happy place, um, and if you mm. treat people like dirt, they will you know in fact feel that they are, and and why should they be any different really? That that post office shop example, they would turn around to you and say, "Oh, but our profit margin is so small; we don't have the budget to do training." I mean, so what would you say to that? You won't be in business long. Um, I think you know there's some um, there's some costs in business which are just absolutely necessary, um, but mm. some things aren't a cost. You know, spending time with with your staff, helping them learn their jobs properly. Helping them understand, well, this is a really important thing, knowing what the, your vision for the business is and what sort of place it is. You know, what? how do you want it to be? When you when you start in business, you have a view of what sort of, of company or, or business you want to run, um, and yeah. it needs to, to be that. And, that, you know, there is very there's, – there's no cost in um, – 
there's no cost in helping your staff and spending time with them. There's no mm. cost in making sure that you give them a, a you know a proper induction. I've just I've just finished reading um, a really uh, a really fantastic book actually. It's a new new book out called Excellence Wins. It's written by Horst Horst Schulzer, who was the um, the co-founder of the Ritz Carlton Group, and mm. um, you know he talks a lot about how do you, how you spend time with staff. Um, and as a, as a chief exec, you wouldn't expect him to do the the staff induction himself, but he did. You know, and mm. and four days of that was you know understanding every part of the business, so that you really bought into what it was all about. And if you know, so if a, if someone says they don't have the, the the money to spend on service, well, I think that I don't think it's all about spending money. Mm. And, and so the, the sort of companies you're helping, do you find it's often it's 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 kind of reminding them of lots of the small things, or is it more than just that? Um, I don't think I ever teach people anything they don't know. What I do is I help people right. see the things that they don't do anything with. Um, you know, mm. we all know that if I walk into a sh- if 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 you walk into my shop and I greet you with a hi, how are you today, and a nice warm welcome. Um, we all know that's a nice thing to do and that's how we'd like to be treated ourselves, but um, but lots of businesses don't. Um, I think some of the things that I, that I talk with owners about, about understanding vision and about understanding core values, um, mm. they perhaps haven't even stopped to think about. They're so busy being in business um, mm. and really haven't delved into, into what makes the thing tick. You know, and and if you do do that, then you can and you can relay that and sell that to your staff. Then you're all all driving in the same direction, and that's really really important, isn't it? And so, have you had situations where you've been working with someone where maybe up until the point where you've been working with them, they've been simply meeting expectations, and then you've helped them to kind of delight clients, and they've just got much better results. Uh, absolutely. Um, on, on lots of occasions. I mean, one one example I'm thinking of you know, when you started the talk was is a is a um, a firm over in in Berkshire where um, they've got a really good client base. Um, they've got you know every, everything's pretty decent, um, but there's nothing special about it. And through a number of conversations, we started talking about you know what really differentiates and what makes them. Um, the place that people come to, and we start to drill down into that. Um, and mm. what, there was lots and lots of little things that changed, um, not only to make it a more welcoming environment. It was, a, it was a law firm. You know, when people go to a law firm, they go because they've got a problem. Um, mm. But for the staff, the staff live and breathe and work there, and 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 you know, law is just a, a problem solving exercise for them. And I think they'd forgotten that actually these people were coming in because they were worried or because they were upset or because they needed something particular, or they had a, or they needed, you know or they'd been or they were worried about the future. Um, hmm. So we put in place a lot of little things, just like simple stuff, changing the way that they were greeted and, and taken to a room, changing the way that you know tea and coffees and things were offered to them, changing how people with children were looked after. Having your colouring books mm. and brand new pencils for the kids, stuff stuff that is is very small but makes a big big difference. And and the result of that was that 
um, through through looking at sort of their their profit margins all increased, which is what you'd always want. But when they did mm. any kind of survey of people, and then we did a kind of before and after surveys, um, the survey levels were much much higher. Um, now I have a I have mm. a, a problem around satisfaction surveys because. Um, well, actually, I've got a problem with the word satisfaction. I think that it's it's absolutely, um, you know, if you aim for satisfaction, you're aiming for mediocrity. Um, and actually, mm. it's not about satisfaction at all. It's about delight. Um, you know, because mm. when was the last time, Tony, you went out for dinner and then rushed outside to phone your mum to tell her how satisfied you were with the meal? we do it we, we go out and we think wow that was amazing we tell people about it um hmm. Shangri-La hotels don't have a satisfaction survey they have a delight survey um and they're not the slightest bit interested in you being satisfied in any way they want you to walk out of there absolutely delighted um and that's a really good way of thinking about it um, and so when we mm. do after surveys, we look at, you know, how how pleased were you with aspects of what happened? Um, mm. you know, did we did did you get what you wanted? Did, was it done in a way that was great? All the simple questions. But then mm. following up, we're saying, actually, do you know what? Would you refer us? And if not, why not? And then when they said no, or they weren't sure, or anything less than it, absolutely, then you know those people were contacted. Um, and talk to about it. That's a really good thing to do. You know, asking for the facts from your, your client base is, is, I guess it's a nerve-wracking thing, isn't it, to, to test your relationship. Mm-hmm. But actually there's nothing more important than finding out what you're doing wrong. Well, and especially what you just said about, it, you know, most people have that standard satisfaction survey. But to ask for a delight survey, I think a lot of companies would be terrified to do that because of what it might reveal. Absolutely. But then, you know, the the funny thing is, you know, people always seek feedback and then a lot of people don't like it when they hear it. Um, mm. my, my job isn't to go and, and, you know, and pat people on the back and say, well done, you're doing a great job, don't, you don't need me. My job is to go yeah. and say, okay, you're doing a great job, how do we make it fantastic? Where can we polish? Because mm. none of the businesses mm. I work with are bad businesses ever. They're all good businesses, mm. um, but they yeah. want to be better businesses. And so it's looking mm. for just the opportunities, but you know, with 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 someone coming into your business, or you know, or meeting someone in a shop, or whatever it is, there's so many little opportunities to delight them. There's so many opportunities mm. to do something really nice for them that just makes their day. Um, mm. That that and those things, people, are, you you need to be on the lookout for that. You need to be looking for the mm. opportunities. If you're not looking for opportunities to to delight people. Um, then you won't. I mean, I, I had an interesting conversation with a client recently. We were talking about managing new staff um, and, you know, we were talking about looking for opportunities to praise them. Um, mm. If you're looking for things to praise, you'll find them. Um, if you're mm. looking for opportunities to delight, you will find them too. You just have to be on the lookout for how can I make this person's day. So often it's a case of, there's, there's a mindset change that's needed. Is that would you say it's something like that? Yeah. Well, in a, in a, in a word, yes, it is. But it's it's mindset change takes time. Cultural change takes lots of time, um, which is why I keep harping back to to your hiring process and your induction and training process in businesses. Because if you understand the values of your business 
then you should by default be hiring complementary people. If you hire mm. complementary people, then you will have mindsets in the right direction. Mm. But if you, you know, for people who are already in the business, nobody goes to work to have a bad time, do they? No one gets up in yeah. the morning and goes, oh, I'm off to work, I'm going to have a really crappy day today. Um, mm. They go to work because they want to be happy. Everybody wants to be happy. So if we give them an environment mm. where they're allowed to be and we give them mm. the autonomy to be the best they can be, they will do that. Um, there's mm. this, uh, Ritz-Carlton, one of the businesses I talk about all the time. They have a, a quite a famous program where their staff are allowed to spend up to $2,000 to make somebody happy. Um, which mm. is a huge amount of money, and it's set at that level so they can do amazing things. Like, you know, there's a story of someone leaving a, a suitcase, a, a briefcase in Los Angeles, and one of their staff flying to Honolulu to deliver it. You know, crazy stuff. Um, wow. Actually, what it's designed to do is to say, how do we make this, you know, if we see someone coming through a door carrying boxes, not only should I hold the door, but I actually I should be thinking I'll hold the door and take those boxes for them and get someone to help them and maybe they might like a drink because it's hot outside. It's that kind mm. of stuff. Um, mm. In day-to-day terms for the rest of us who aren't in the Ritz-Carlton chain and haven't got that kind of thing, it's saying to ourselves, what what you know, today's going to be a great day. How do I make everybody I come in contact with enjoy themselves too? So for someone who's listening to this, who's maybe in a very small business, maybe even a one-man band, yeah. and they're in a situation, say, where they're, they, they're, they're charging such a low price and they're therefore having to work so much that they feel they're not able to, they're on each job for such a short amount of time that they're only just about meeting expectations. What advice would you give to someone in that kind of situation? Oh, I want to be flippant and say, do something else. Um, but actually, uh, it's um, it depends on what that what that is. Low price stuff can be fantastic, and you can make a big difference to people and and make it very nice for them, or just make them touch them somehow so that it becomes an experience rather than just a purchase. Um, mm. You know, and there's little tiny ways of doing that. I bought some reading glasses recently. Um, and I, I, have, I have dozens of the things all over the house because I'm old now and I'm blind, so I need to kind of make sure. <laughs> I, and I buy these things online, and they're only a few quid each. But I bought a new pair, mm. and I think I think they were twelve pounds. So in in the scheme of things, for glasses, are pretty cheap. And they arrived mm. gift wrapped with a little bow, and it was just very nice. It didn't need, you know, it it, it mm. took a tiny bit of time from their side. Um, and guess what? Mm. I did on Twitter and everywhere else pictures of it and how wonderful, yeah. you know. And they said, we're just trying to make something media, something you need seem better. You know, if we mm. think about what we're doing and the impact it has on the other other person, we can make things great. A sandwich isn't an expensive thing, but a sandwich can, mm. you know, buying a sandwich can be the highlight of your day if it's done right. Um, and if mm. you're very busy and selling low-priced stuff, how could you make that just a better experience for everybody rather than just pushing the thing out? How do you make it? You can be great value, but are you fun? Is it interesting? Is it different? And what could you do? Mm. You don't have to gift wrap things. Um, mm. But, you know, a little handwritten note with something might be a nice touch. Um, you know, there's lots of ways they could. Or put your price up. Mm. 
lots of businesses, and that, that's, service businesses particularly, and one-man bands in the service world are often selling themselves way below their value. Um, and that's mm. a bit of imposter syndrome and a few other bits of it terrifies them, doesn't it? Most businesses to put their prices up. It does, but you know what? Every every year you'll get a letter from British Gas or the Water Board or whoever else it is putting their prices up. And what do we do? We just shrug and get on with it, don't we? Um, mm. You know, and I think there's the incremental increases are important as much as getting your, you know the value right in the first place. Um, mm. One of the problems, I guess, is that no one wants to tell you what they charge their clients. Um, but mm. if people will, then it gives you an idea of the marketplace. Or ask your clients what they're paying, what, they, what they're char- being charged. Um, and mm. if they're kind, they'll let you know. But, yeah, it does terrify the pants off everybody. And we've all done mm. it. We've all gone in too cheap. Um, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and I guess you have to to find your level. But also, you know, just trying it on almost at one point and saying, actually, do you know what? People will pay this. And once they do once, it's not a problem anymore. So what are your thoughts, James, on exceeding expectations, trying to really give your customers a great experience? It's amazing the difference it makes to your business if you start if the mindset sits around um, excellence rather than just um, just doing a good job. If you're expect if, if you're trying to exceed the expectations of your and I'm not talking about the old kind of um, you know, under promise and over deliver stuff, which I think is just manipulative. Um, if your expectation mm. level of the client is set at the right level and then you go out of your way to blow them out of the water, everybody has a better experience. Everybody enjoys the process. Mm. Everybody does better. You know, and there is no chance that that person won't talk about the great time, the, the great experience they've had. They will, and they mm. always do. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's 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 not woo-woo, it's how we work. We work with people we like and we enjoy spending time with. Um, exactly the same way we uh, we socialise. You know, we don't go out to to socialise with people we don't like, and we don't if we unless we absolutely have to. We don't work with people we don't like. And what you said before about the the glasses is is such a great example because once people maybe change their mindset and and start trying to do some things that do delight customers, and then as you said, you you I don't know you tweeted about it, or you put it on social media, and so any people who aren't getting mentions on social media, once that starts to happen, and then it's a kind of momentum. They think, oh, okay, well, if I do more of that kind of thing, I'm going to get more of that, and then I'm going to get better referrals and testimonials and so on. Absolutely. It's like teaching a dog to sit. It's a pretty rubbish analogy, but, you know, every time it sits, you give it a biscuit. Well, guess what? It sits a lot. Um, yeah. And human beings, are, we, we all work better with positive reinforcement, don't we? You know, something happens mm. that's good and someone says that's great, you get a little pat on the back, you enjoy that, you like it. Um, mm. I think the glasses thing's really nice for lots of reasons, but actually the nicest reason of all is that it just makes you feel like you're getting a present. And we don't mm. get gift wrap presents much anymore. It makes you feel a little bit like a kid on on the birthday or Christmas morning. You know, this this mm. unexpected thing when an auntie you've forgotten about or, you know, or somebody sends you a present you're not expecting, it's so lovely. Um, and it's mm. that feeling that it taps into um, even mm. more so than the fact they just gift-wrapped it. Lots of businesses do it to try and make it mm. feel special. But I've noticed it in lots of odd ways. So, you know, the glasses, um, I buy my contact lenses online, they always come gift-wrapped. Um, I bought a, 
the, my favourite, favourite one was I bought um, a thing called a hugger from my motorbike. And if you don't ride motorbikes, it's basically a glorified mudguard um, that goes on the back of it. But I wanted a, a carbon fibre one. Um, and I found this mm. business called Skid Marks, which is a terrible name for a business, but a memorable name for a business. Um, and mm. at the time, you couldn't buy online from them. You had to ring them up, which was which was nice because you spoke to someone and you'd tell them the model you wanted and what it was. Um, and when this mm. thing arrived a few days later, it came in a massive box filled up with those little peanut things, you know, the little polystyrene things that my kids love so much. Um, mm. And inside was the mudguard. With a little, with a post-it note, just an everyday post-it note, stuck to it, saying, "James, um, we've had a look at the forecast this weekend in Oxfordshire, and it looks like it's going to be really sunny. I hope this looks great on your bike and enjoy your riding." Um, mm. What a yeah. lovely little touch, and yeah. a whole, you know, and just makes you grin a bit more about that business. And then, you know, mm. I, well, I, I've, I must have mentioned skid marks to almost everybody I've ever met since. In every context, I can. It's, it's going out of your way to do something little to make someone's day. So, do you think, it generally, over say the last five, ten, fifteen years, things have been improving? And do you think it's going to continue that way? How do you think? How do you see things going in the next five, ten years? Um, is it improving? I'm not sure if it is or not. Actually, I don't think it's improving in total. I think it's improving in in some sectors. Um, hmm. But I think the overall trend is toward um, impersonal service. You know, we mm. something like Amazon, we all use. Um, it's a fantastic way of getting stuff quickly um, and without having to actually speak to someone, um, which, you know, for certain products, you know, if you want some paper or something, it's fine. Um, but mm. personal service is personalised service, should I say, is something that we really, re- people really enjoy. Um, and, you know, certain sectors are getting better and better and better at it. Um, mm. Give an example. Um, my daughter loves bath bombs and things. She's 10, so it's kind of, you know, all very, all still very girly with her. Um, and she goes into Lush, you know, the um, the cosmetics and, and soap shop. Wow, yeah. that place is amazing. They greet her, they sit her down, they chat to her about what they've done. They make the whole thing an absolute joy and experience for her. And she goes away and buys some more stuff. And then when she gets some money, she says, can we go to Lush? You know, hmm. there's certain businesses that are very good at it, but the, the overall trend I don't think is, is at all. And it's not um, – I hear lots of people saying, oh, well, you know, it's Britain if you go to America or if you go to Asia. I think that's true. I think it's um, – you know, I think there are, are certainly worlds where um, services is seen as, as something important. But in, in, you know, here in Britain, um, you know, a waiter's job is not seen as a career where in France it is. And so um, people don't take the same care and the same, put the same effort into, into some of those things which perhaps they should. James, we've, um, time has flown. I want to be respectful of your time. So before we finish, how, if people want to find out more about you and get in touch with you, where should they go? What should they do? Um, well, that'd be great. Um, the best thing is jamesnathan.com, which is my website, and all my contact details are on there. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm the most uh, easiest man to find in the world, so everything's James. So it's james at jamesnathan.com, jamesnathan.com website, jamesnathan on Twitter. Um if you Google me, though, you'll find the guy who won MasterChef a few years ago is also called James Nathan. He seems to have picked up the first page for um, 
to master sheer accolades, but otherwise, James yeah. Nandor. <laughs> and typically, people would be would they reach out for you if they if they're interested in attending a workshop or is that kind of thing what they'd be looking to? So do? Um, I only work in house for businesses. I don't work. At, I don't do workshops where in, you know individual people could come. Um, I do individual training and coaching. Um, but if you are interested, you know the, the best thing to do is to to have a chat about what it is you're looking to achieve or what you want, what what you think you need to do, and then we can you know, chat about what's the right process. If it's me, it's me. If it's not, you know, I can refer you to someone who can. Well, James, it's been a pleasure speaking of you, and thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Tony. It's been great. Episode 13 next week is with Dr. Brandon Siegel and we discuss topics along the lines of wellness, healthcare, functional medicine and how people in those areas can exceed their their customers' expectations and and why sometimes expectations are so low in in some of these um, situations. Hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Please do leave a review for us on iTunes, Stitcher. Um, You can also find the podcast on Spotify and maybe think about joining the Facebook group and get some conversations going in there. Have a great week. I'll see you next week.